0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: The funds have been buying corn uh, like crazy for the last couple of weeks. After that USDA report, corn and beans had about a three or a four day pullback from the January report, and that pullback was the chance to buy. So the funds have been adding on just because of inflationary concerns.
0: Good afternoon and happy hashtag Market Monday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr. And for those of you who may have forgotten, I do have a co host. Her name is Delaney Howell, and she is back on with me today. Delaney, how's it been since we last spoke?
2: Well, I've still been in Hawaii. We ended up extending our trip just a couple of extra days. So I am sitting next to the pool at our beachside hotel room looking out at the ocean right now and it has been an awesome past week and uh, not gonna lie it's a little hard to get back in the swing of things today.
0: Well I for one have not been on a Hawaiian vacation and it's been hard for me to get back into the swing of things today so I imagine that your brain is pretty foggy trying to get back into the conversation here.
2: It is because I haven't looked at a ton of news or markets while I've been gone. I mean, a little bit here and there because we've been with a bunch of other farmers. So things have actually come up in conversation, but I haven't been doing my usual daily reading like I have been.
0: You know, the image just came into my mind how funny it must be running around this Hawaiian resort and seeing a bunch of grown men with farmer's tans. That's just what I'm imagining in my head right now. That's
2: true. That's very accurate. And a lot of farmers don't wear swimming suits. So I've seen lots of outfits with like jeans and boots on the beach. And it is what it is. Everybody has a good time and everybody does their own thing. (laughs)
0: Well, Delaney, I'm sure that those Hawaiian workers at the resorts are pretty shell-shocked, I think, from you guys kind of flooding the resort there. But I think that you might be a bit shell-shocked whenever you come back to the mainland here because things are expected to get pretty cold later this week, about the time that you're coming back.
2: Yes, I am not looking forward to that. It's been about 80 degrees here in Hawaii all week, and it's going to be a little chilly when we get back. So Yeah, certainly not looking forward to that,
0: Ashton. Well, Delaney, let's go ahead and just move right along here because honestly, I don't feel like talking about weather because I'm a little bit bitter that it's going to be in... The low 20s later this week, so I don't even want to talk about that. Just going to want to wait until that comes, trying to avoid it as much as we can. But I do have a a small announcement that I wanted to talk about today because NCBA is having their yearly meeting, convention, conference, whatever, in Houston this week. It kicks off tomorrow, and it'll go through the 3rd. And there's a couple of issues that they're going to be talking about down there. Of course, they're going to be talking about transportation, supply chain shortages, labor issues, all the things that we're talking about in mainstream agriculture. Going to be talking a little bit more about that when it comes to the cattle industry. And of course, we know there's been a ton of cattle industry-specific things going on this year already, so I'm excited to hear what comes of this. There's going to be a couple of news stories, I assume, come out later this week, whenever it is in full swing, but just something to perk your ears up today.
2: And actually, speaking of another event that's going on, the Chinese Lunar New Year holiday kicks off today in China. And that's basically going to be a holiday here for about the next 10 days to two weeks that China will try to celebrate best they can. Of course, you know, they're still dealing with COVID just as other countries are as well. But typically this time of year is a really big holiday season for China to eat a lot of pork, do a lot of celebrating, you know, um, spend a lot of time with people. And so it'll be interesting how this year's Lunar New Year develops, but you also have to remember that the Olympics are kicking off in Beijing just shortly thereafter, Ashton.
0: Ooh, Delaney, I forgot about the Olympics. Have we really seen anything else come from the boycotts and things of that nature when it comes to the Olympics? Uh,
2: Again, I haven't really paid a ton of attention to news here over the past week, so I haven't seen anything come out. However, this is just a side note tangent has nothing to do with agriculture but just something I thought was super cool. Um, a friend here in Des Moines that I freelanced with throughout the past couple of years on different sporting events um, was telling me that he got selected to work at the Olympics in Beijing and had to be able to ski to do he does audio so I'm not exactly even sure what he's going to be doing, but I thought it was kind of neat because He said you had a requirement was that you had to be able to ski to the location. So, yeah, like I said, nothing to do with agriculture, just kind of a random side tangent that I thought was kind of neat.
0: That is very cool. I am a little bit jealous at such a, a neat opportunity, but we're going to, of course, be following along with the Olympics. I know that you like to watch the the Summer Olympics, so we'll continue to talk about that. And if we see any political issues come from this, I might need to do a little bit of research to, you know, keep up with the times here. But Delaney, I'm going to go ahead and take things over to Britain. Back in the fall of 2021, we talked a little bit about how their pork industry was facing some big issues when it comes to labor. They were having a major shortage of butchers, and now they're facing even more issues. Their initial remedy to combat the shortage of butchers really isn't working. They were putting in place emergency visa measures And it's really not softening the impact that they thought it was going to do. And now we're seeing a backlog in soldering of more than 170,000 pigs. So now a couple of agencies over there are predicting that they're going to see a collapse of the pork industry over there if something does not happen when it comes to this shortage of butchers and now this backlog of tons and tons of pigs over there. And they're saying that if they do see a collapse, that they will never recover. So I thought that this was pretty interesting. They're really looking at it as a gloom and doom situation, which I mean, faced with over 170,000 pigs, it is pretty gloom and doom, but I don't really know that they have any other remedies or solutions to this issue at this point. Yeah, and that's pretty intense that they will never recover from that. I thought that was pretty intense as well. I don't know if they're kind of Rushing to this statement, you know, I mean, we've seen China really try to improve their hog herd and build that back up after African swine fever was really a detriment to their herd. So I, I don't know that you know it would be a, a situation where they would never recover. But I don't know. I think that you know we've seen things that we never thought would happen happen in the past, you know, two or so years. So who knows at this point? Well, Ashton, switching tracks here a little bit, we've got some. Recent news suggesting
2: that fertilizer prices have been finally on the decline. Fertilizer prices fell for a fourth consecutive week down about 7% now on the Green Market's weekly North American fertilizer price index to now $811 per ton. And this this market index basically is an average benchmark prices on the U.S. Gulf Coast area that include potash and DAP, and so certainly much welcome news by the farm community that we have, in fact, seen multiple weeks of decreasing
0: fertilizer prices when, for a while there, we thought there was no end in sight. That is really exciting, Delaney. You know, I talked to Josh Lindell last week about fertilizer prices and when we're going to see them come back down. Did not even realize that we're kind of already on that route.
2: Yes, we certainly are. And that is exciting news for farmers, especially who are nervous about locking in production costs for 2022 and into 2023. So certainly some much welcome news there.
0: Well, Delaney, I have another labor issue that could potentially be impacting farm workers and farm owners, I guess I I should say, over in New York. I didn't realize this, but New York is fourth in the nation for milk production. They have a, a ton of dairy farms over there. And one dairy farm in particular was talking about how their employees don't want to work less than 66 to 70 hours a week and the wage increase the minimum wage increase i should say in new york increased on january 1st from 12.50 an hour to 13.20 an hour so these farms are already kind of struggling to keep up when they're paying their employees that amount for working 70 hours a week but now it could potentially go down because New York is pushing to phase in a 40-hour overtime threshold. Two years ago, New York passed a law for ag employers to pay overtime after a 60-hour work week. A panel voted two to one late last week that would reduce overtime to a 40-hour work week by 2032. and That threshold would drop four hours per week every two years beginning in 2024. So this could be pretty detrimental to these farms because they're going to have to start and paying their employees more when it comes to overtime and those kinds of things. So Things are kind of up in the air for New York ag employers. A lot of people are saying that this could be detrimental to their operation. Um, they're really scared, as a couple of the quotes that I've seen. So I, uh, I'm pretty interested to see what happens here because we've already seen a ton of labor issues. And even more so, I feel like when we go into the dairy industry, they've been hit pretty hard. So this is just another one impacting New Yorkers that could be pretty detrimental. Absolutely, Ashton. Delaney, I just have one other story here, and it is talking about trade and the USMCA. We saw Melissa Kelsler, who is the U.S. Grains Council Director of Strategic Initiatives and Engagement, suggest that the USMCA lays a solid foundation for future trade deals. She added that the USMCA is designed for the modern world of digital trade. She was quoted as saying e-certificates for certain things, adding in new dispute mechanisms. It's the first trade agreement in the world to have a biotech chapter. USMCA in many ways is the basis of the future of trade agreements. Melissa also points out that the USMCA builds off the success of the North American Free Trade Agreement or NAFTA She also said that connecting the economies of Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. was very powerful to kind of building our trade alliances, but also kind of the modern system that we have of producing and exporting grains. Makes me wonder just a little bit if we're going to see similar trade agreements, you know, with the U.S. and other countries, maybe other countries with other countries, you know, not including the U.S. in that trade agreement. But thought it was pretty interesting here as we move forward with the trade through 2022, what we can expect, especially when it comes to, you know, our trade relationship with China, things of that nature. Unfortunately, Delaney did have to hop off and get back to Hawaii. So I am going to pick things back up here when it comes to the markets before we head into our hashtag market Monday conversation with Naomi Bloom. The March corn contract was down 10 cents today to close at 626. The May down eight and three quarters to close at six twenty four and a half. and a half. In soybeans, green across the screen here is the March contract closed 20 and a half cents higher at fourteen ninety four and a half. and a half. The May up 20 cents to close at 1495 and a quarter. In KC wheat, the March contract is down today 21. Cents to close at 781 and a quarter. The May down 21 cents to close at 784 and a quarter. Much different story today in the livestock contracts than last market Monday as we get into our conversation with Naomi Bloom here. The live at cattle February contract up 87 and a half cents, to close at 139.57 and a half. The April up a dollar forty two and a half, and a half to close at one forty four fifty two and a half. and a half. In feeder cattle, still continued strength as the March contract is up $3.40 to close at 163.02 and a half The April, up $3.15 to close at $168.45. In lean hogs, the February contract up $0.55 cents to close at $88.475. The April, up seventy seven and a half dollars 5 to close at 95 70 Closing things out here in the Class Three Dairy Milk Futures, The February contract up 17 cents to close at 2036. The March up 27 cents to close at 2165. With that, I'm gonna kick things over to our conversation with Naomi Bloom.
2: Well, folks, we are joined today by Naomi Bloom of Total Farm Marketing to chat all things markets today. And Naomi, I got to admit, I haven't looked at the markets a ton over the past week, but I know that there have still been some really big hot button issues that I want to definitely dive into today. Because I know you watch a lot of the geopolitical stuff as well. I want to kick things off. I know Ashton chatted last week about the Ukraine-Russia situation, but walk us through it from your perspective. What's going on and really what markets need to be paying attention or will be paying attention to this news moving forward?
1: Yeah, for the grain side of it, the wheat market had been paying a lot of attention to it because the thought was that if Russia and Ukraine are too busy fighting each other, then they will not have time or ability to export wheat to the world. And of course, those two are some pretty large wheat exporters for the world. So they, they do matter in that regard. Uh, the other part to it was that if you are, are an end user of grain or of wheat, you're maybe not too excited to buy wheat from those two regions because you won't be able to be guaranteed that you're going to have delivery of it, especially if they do force majeure um, because of military conflict and strife. So there was some serious hope that the U.S. was going to be receiving some wheat export business recently. And exports have been you know, pretty good for us. Nothing over the top fantastic. So we had a nice run up last week. It got up to a target on a chart. We didn't have any news to get through that level. So we saw a little bit of a pullback here today. But the other part of today is that it is the last business day of the month. The funds are doing a lot of position squaring. So that's why you saw some interesting and some dynamic market movement. Uh, but for the wheat And the Russia-Ukraine situation, that is still ongoing, of course. And then, of course, with Russia-Ukraine, we're also watching energy markets because of all the pipelines that are over in that region and natural gas. And so there's still some strife. It's not over yet. And it definitely needs to be monitored throughout the month of February
2: let's talk a little bit more about the position squaring up that were, was happening today in the markets, because obviously corn had quite a bit of mixed trade on the day today. Tell us a little bit more about what the funds were doing ahead of today and January rolling off the board.
1: Yeah, so the funds have been buying corn uh, like crazy for the last couple of weeks. After that USDA report, corn and beans had about a three or a four day pullback from the January report, and that pullback was the chance to buy. So the funds have been adding on just because of inflationary concerns, there's also, of course, the reality that we have those nine grain and oil seed commodities with tight ending stocks. And the weather in South America continues to not be great. So the funds are um, getting, they're long, we're estimating with what they've been doing recently, almost 375,000 contracts of corn. They're getting long, we think getting closer to about 135,000 contracts of soybeans. So corn and beans both last night pushed higher on South American weather concerns, corn got up to 640, which was an overhead resistance area from May. The beans last night got up to the $15 area. And of course, that's a resistance point as well. And then didn't have enough news to go through it this morning. So prices had a pullback. Some of the fund groups were uh, taking profits on the long positions. So that means they had to sell them. And that way they can square up and show a profit for the monthly books. And so we'll see tomorrow with a new month, are they coming back in as buyers? Uh, Do we wait a day or two and see what market activity is like? Because now also with February, the Chinese New Year is happening. And traditionally, when the New Year's is going on, China's not doing a lot of buying. Um, But then, of course, we also have the Olympics right after that. So, so many things I get to monitor uh, as we go forward here. A USDA report coming up already on February 9th. So it's going to be a continued volatile month for sure for the month of February.
2: I I want to talk a little bit more about some of the overnight action that we saw because soybeans have, like you said, they're pushed uh, up towards $15, which is a huge level of resistance. But South American weather wise, you know, we're starting to hear more and more rumors and trickles that perhaps USDA didn't cut enough of production during the last, Was the report? What are you hearing from a ground perspective? And how much oomph left in the tank do we have here if uh, if numbers still haven't been adjusted enough?
1: That's a very important question because you know usually we hear South America gets rain and the crop is bigger than we thought and that usually push prices lower. But right now the the traders down in South America and the images that are coming across those. Uh, social media are making it sound like, no, this crop is actually going to be smaller than last year. And um, there's there's some who are making the crop substantially smaller between Argentina and Brazil and some who are making it modestly smaller. So it is important to see what the USDA says on the February report, because that's what is pretty much gospel as, as perceived by trade. So two things. If the report is friendly, if the weather in South America continues to not be good for growing corn and beans, if soybeans can close above 15, the technical upside dollar upside is closer to $16 on on charts, and so that could definitely happen. The other thing is that if the South American crop is truly smaller, then now we have a situation where the world will need the U.S. to grow more acres of soybeans, and so. We were expecting that the United States was going to be having more acres of beans planted because the corn inputs were so high. And for a little while, we were thinking, oh, that's not going to be great for soybeans. That's going to really swell up our supplies. But now it's a situation where if that South American crop is small, the world needs us to have that big crop. And we could see our exports of soybean meal, soybean oil, and soybeans increase. And that would be new demand, again, because of the smaller South American crop.
2: And anyway, mean, just because I, I feel like this kind of changes every year is always a moving target. But typically, you know, this week is about when South American production typically starts to come online and China really starts to back away from U.S. exports. Do you anticipate that we're going to continue to see that happen or is China going to step in and still continue to be a strong buyer from the U.S.? What do you anticipate here? Well,
1: we don't know is the answer, but China did do some buying late last week and then also this morning. So that to us makes us think, okay, well, maybe they want to make sure that they're going to have crop guaranteed for delivery. So they are starting to buy more from the United States. So, again, it'll be interesting to watch um, over the first week to two weeks of February to see if they are going to be doing more buying during their Chinese New Year when they usually don't or how they even are going to behave during the Olympics and how that's all happening. So if we see China come in and do more buying over the next two weeks, that would be, I think, more of a a friendlier aspect or kind of a surprise to the market because we're maybe not expecting it to happen. To me, that would mean that China thinks that the crop in South America is as small as what trade is saying. So they want to make sure that they can get product from us on time and at a cheaper value than potentially where prices could go if this thing really does blow up. And everything goes higher yet.
0: So, Naomi, I want to talk here about cattle because I feel like we saw really a 180 here compared to our conversation that we were having last Monday on our Market Monday episode then. So, what's going on in terms of cattle, especially feeder cattle today, because they were up pretty high?
1: Yeah, with the feeders, I think part of that was the greens being down a little bit harder. Uh, This afternoon, though, in about 20 minutes, there's going to be an important report that comes out for the cattle market, the U.S. inventory report, and that'll show what we're expecting is that supplies are down um, for our U.S. herd, and that'll give us a better figure for exactly how much lower they are, what's going to be available in the coming months. So the expectations is that they're thinking that the U.S. cattle herd as of January 1st is going to be down over a million head, the lowest in six years. It would be a third year-over-year decline for the herd. Um, Beef cows are seen down almost 2% from a year ago. Milk calls are thinking that they're going to be down about 0.3%. And the 2021 calf crop is seen down 1%. So these are ramifications that could affect the entire cattle industry. We could continue to see higher prices for feeders and for fat cattle, and then, of course, with the fat cattle market um, and feeders, we're watching pasture conditions because it's still blazing hot and dry um, for most of the plains. There's a potential for a big storm coming in later this week, but you know we'll see what kind of effect that has. But for the short term, um, traders are back to focus on demand is still strong for domestic demand, our export market, and we have lower numbers coming. So that's a supportive marketplace overall.
2: And Naomi, as you look at the lean hog markets here, you know, April's really ran up over the past week, two weeks, as far as prices go. Pulled back a little bit today, but do you think there's still quite a bit of upward momentum here in this April contract?
1: Um, I do, because I think that, again, the demand there is strong, just like it has been for um, for the beef market. Our exports are, you know, overall still hanging in there. They're not too bad. Our hog producers did a great job of thinking ahead. They did not expand the herd last year, even though prices were good, because they knew that China was rebuilding their herd. Therefore, our exports would not be as strong as the year prior. So kudos to our hog producers who had that foresight. Uh, So our hog numbers are um, a little bit stagnant. We're expecting first and second quarter production to be a little bit lower. But the other thing with the hog market that we continue to hear is that the PERS virus is continuing to just... Linger And in some cases spread throughout the Midwest and, and that will limit production in the future. So that's something to monitor. Technically speaking, the hog market looks uh, pretty strong on charts. The monthly charts had bullish reversals not too long ago. So there's, there's some things brewing there where the hog market has some ability to run higher yet as well.
0: Well, Naomi, we certainly appreciate you coming back on for another Hashtag Market Monday episode, but you're having conversations about markets every day, not just on Mondays here. So where can our audience go to participate in some of these conversations?
1: Yeah, feel free to give me a call at 800-334-9779. Just ask for Naomi. Otherwise you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Naomi Bloom.
0: Awesome. Well, Naomi, thanks again.
1: Thank you. Talk to you guys again later.
0: Thanks again there too, Naomi for coming on and chatting markets with us today. Certainly glad to have her and Delaney back on today. Folks do stay tuned into agnewsdaily.com as we head into the week with some pretty great conversations. With that, I'm going to let the people go.